Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Great to be with you, Ashley, in the middle of this winter freeze. Oh, I know. It's awful. I've been stuck inside avoiding the sub-20 weather. <laughs> yep. Just brutal. 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 But the days are getting longer. Hope My hope is growing longer. Um, and we, and we're, we got a great show. So it's it, we're recording inside in our own apartments uh, with some warm drinks. So I'm excited. I'm ready to rock. Yes, today in Signs of the Times, we have some fun stories. We're going to talk about the ethics of the Catholic school running up the scoreboard in sports and some new research about the contested identity of Mary Magdalene. Yep. And then after that, we're talking with Marianne moeller Liley, who is a distinguished actor who's appeared in hundreds of films, TV series, commercials on the stage. You've you've definitely seen something she's in, the most famous one being The Terminator. We, we talked to her about that, about what it's like to be killed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. But we also get into what it's like to be Catholic in Hollywood and what makes for a funny commercial, because she is in quite a few. Yes. And then finally, we have As One Friend Speaks to Another, where we talk about what it, maybe feeling stuck in your faith journey during this pandemic that does not seem to be ending anytime soon. And we will do all of that over drinks. What are we doing this week, Zach? We're observing a what I'm calling a dry second Wednesday in January. Um, <laughs> we're not committing to the entire month. Our, we've got some producers on the show that we, we have lots of respect for, some friends. Uh, I, we, we encourage you. Um, Ashley and I, have, I think we've already failed because we drank last week on the show, yeah. but we're at least on this week's show. We're going to we're going to observe that. So I've got some strawberry lemonade tea uh, mm. in my cup right now, which is have, really tasty. I, I have some decaf coffee. And yes, it is instant. Uh, you're <laughs> oh, my gosh. You don't have to do this. You can drink better coffee. But before we get to the rest of the show, we have a few words about our sponsor. Uh, when is the last time, listener, you challenge yourself to learn something new? Uh, I mean, like down the rabbit hole, like kind of blow your mind, something kind of new. Uh, I, I know we do that each week here on the show. I, I've, I've learned a ton of stuff here talking to people way smarter than me. Uh, but this year we decided that we're going to challenge ourselves uh, to learn something new, which is just for us. Yes. And because of our upcoming trip to Italy, we have a perfect reason to try to learn how to speak a little bit of Italian. Yes. Uh, buongiorno, Ashley. Uh, ciao. <laughs> See, we're Congress. a little further than that. We're a little <laughs> further than that, but maybe just not comfortable enough doing it on mic uh, and learning Italian. But uh, you, you, you all know we're already fans of Wondrium, and we just discovered this amazing new video series called Learning Italian Step by Step, Region by Region. Yes, and the instructor, Christina Olson, who's an associate professor of Italian at George Mason University, is really fun. She She's enthusiastic. You know, I, I when I think of 
Italian speaking, I, I picture a lot of hand movements and she definitely incorporates that and kind of teaches you what role they play in the language. Yeah. And she also finally helped me get past this roadblock I have on verb tenses. So I know if you've ever if taken a foreign language before, that's always a, a roadblock and a plateau oh, for, yeah. for me, it, it has been. Uh, and so you can... Uh, Get all of that in more on Wondrium. They've got mind-blowing encyclopedic content, and it covers just about everything uh, in every subject, not just language, science, history, music, travel, religion, health, business, on and on, uh, in how-to guides and documentaries, uh, and to kind of remind you that, you know, learning something new is fun and exciting. Yes, and we know if you love Josh Whittacle, then you are someone who is curious about the world and always wanting to learn more. So we know you're going to love Wondrium. And right now, Wondrium is offering our listeners a special deal, a free 22-day trial offer to celebrate the new year. But you need to sign up through our special URL, and that's wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. Again, that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical, and get your learning on today. And now we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What is our first story, Zach? So uh, our first story comes from Catholic High School in Connecticut, the Sacred Heart Academy, where a girls' high school basketball game was played uh, between Sacred Heart and the Lyman Hall High School. Uh, And the score was really what made this news. You know, normally we're looking for Catholic news. If you just do like a Google search for There's a lot of basketball games. (laughs) A lot of, lot, of, lot of high school sports scores. Uh, and th- but this one in particular actually made news. It's written up in the New York Times and other places. Uh, the score was 92 to 4. Um, Sacred Heart it, over Lyman Hall. Uh, that is such a... I, I've, I've been on a lot of bad sports teams. Um, but never... Like 92 to 4 is exceptionally uh, unique as a beatdown, I think. Yeah, no. So clearly the the league that they were playing in did not have a mercy rule in place. So they they were the, the game was not going to get cut off by the ref even after in the it was 80 to 0 after the third quarter. And uh this had some repercussions for the coach of the Sacred Heart Sharks who was suspended for one game following this uh, by the administration for, you know, not exactly showing the mercy and charity that's expected by a Catholic school. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure this guy was hauled in to talk to uh, Sister Sheila O'Neill, who is the school's president, um, who put out a statement that said, uh, Sacred Heart Academy values the lessons taught and cultivated through athletic participation, including ethical and responsible behavior, leadership and strength of character, and respect for one's opponents. Last night's girls basketball game versus Lyman Hall High School does not align with our values or philosophies. So, Coach... I'm pretty sure was hauled in to talk to sister and yeah. he's suspended for one game. Yeah, I will say I, so I've been, I've been on both sides of this. I've been in, not in basketball and soccer games where, where it's just a completely unfair matchup. And it's, you know, I don't, sometimes it's worse if they don't try to score and somehow more humiliating, but I, I think we, yeah, I will agree that 92 to four is excessive. <laughs> well, the, just the thing is like, 92 suggests uh, a pace of, of basketball in which you are forcing turnovers, doing fast breaks, not just that you're trying to like, you're not just still competing at that point, right? Yeah. The, the the article mentions full court pressure uh, through the game. Uh, as a rule, full court pressure should stop as soon as you're up by 25. Uh, otherwise, high school Zach would have thrown an elbow um, yeah. <laughs> if someone was still trying to do that to me and they were up 25. So it suggests they were trying to kill the other team and yeah. not just beat them, which I think is significant. 
Yeah. And I don't know if this is the best or worst part of the story, but they are going to have to face off again at the end of January. So uh, we'll keep you posted on how that goes. Yeah, I hope that I hope the uh, sister Sheila gets in there and, you know, maybe she takes over for coaching that game. I think that would be a fair compromise. (laughs) What's our next story, Ashley? Yeah. So in a paper published last month, two scholars contested some assumptions we have about Mary of Magdala's birthplace in Palestine, Israel. The the scholars are Elizabeth Schrader um, at Duke University and Joan Taylor at King's College London. And they don't think that Mary was actually born in Magdala. Yeah, this was kind of mind blowing for me because I've 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 been to this area at Migdal, which is on the Sea of Galilee, and it's pretty close to where Jesus did his public ministry. And it's sort of it was suggested that you know this is where Jesus would have you know first met Mary because she's from Magdala. Instead, what this paper suggests is that uh, Magdalene may well have been an honorific title and uh, from the Hebrew and Aramaic roots for tower or magnified, which is. Basically, what they're arguing is like in the same way that Peter is given this epithet rock, uh, you're on, Peter, you're on this rock, I'll build my church. Um, Mary could have well had the same title of Magdalene, which could have meant like Tower of Faith or Mary the Magnified. Right. So I, I don't think they have any conclusive evidence, but that's also the same for people who say that, oh, no, this just points to where she was born, Right. This is basically like an assumption assumption that's gone unchallenged since the 6th century. And Mm -hmm. if you think about it, the 6th century is a long time and lots of tradition of people assuming this thing. But it's also a pretty big gap between when uh, Jesus and Mary were walking around and when this sort of, you know, starts to take hold is this assumed fact. But I thought this was such an interesting story because it raised a couple of points. Uh, One is, you know, why is the... Mary of Magdala, such a contested figure in the church. Right. So no, she has had many different <laughs> competing identities throughout throughout the centuries. It was in the sixth century when Pope Gregory the Great conflated Mary with the sinful woman who anointed Jesus's feet with perfume in Luke 7. It gave rise to this idea that, that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, right? But there's no actual evidence for that in the gospel. Yeah. And that, that idea has persisted. At least, I mean, like, I'm certain that I had to unlearn that she, you know, that she she was not a prostitute. I'm I, I kind of came away with that impression. And this I gets back to a larger point um, that I think uh, these two scholars are suggesting about Mary is we we already have a history of Mary's identity being being confused and conflated, um, and you know certainly suggestions that a woman that was so important to the early church and so important to Jesus has been, you know, had a diminished role in history and that this epithet would, you know, suggest, you know, more importance in her relationship to Jesus. And I, it's just another, you know, kind of stone uh, or brick in that argument that Mary is way more important than we've ever given her credit for. Yeah. The church is starting to realize that Pope Francis certainly has back in 2016. He raised the memorial of St. Mary Magdalene to a feast day, which suggests he is lifting her up in serious ways as, as a model for Christians, as, as the, as she's called the apostle to the apostles. The second sort of big point uh, here is, you know, if, if it's true, right, that Mary is not from Magdala and it changes our idea of things, you know, what do we do with this when there's like this new studies about scripture that come out. Scholars, you know, continue to do work and do textual criticism and all these things. Uh, it, it can kind of make it seem like it's 
it's all fake or that we've been lied to. Yeah. Well, I I kind of connect it to the experience of actually going to the Holy Land where there are so many things that like by tradition are where certain things happened and how that how that gets built up is not it's not arbitrary and it's not people trying to like like fleece other people. It's like we have this tradition of, you know, early Christians going to these places and that getting handed down. And and that is a you know a living tradition because it's one built by living humans. And 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 then the same way the catechism says of sacred scripture that while it is the word of God, it is not a written and mute word, but an incarnate and living one. And it means that we don't have to stop learning about what actually happened. Yeah, but I thought this was fascinating. Uh, I One of my New Year's resolutions is to learn more about Mary Magdala. I posted this in our Facebook group, so we've got a discussion already going there about this story about Mary of Magdalene's importance. So if you want to check that out, you can visit facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. And now stick around for our conversation with Marianne Muller-Liley. Joining us in studio is Marianne Muller-Liley. Marianne is a distinguished actor who has appeared in hundreds of films, TV series, commercials, and on stage. You can see her latest performance in the 2021 NBC Universal film, Queen Bees. Welcome to Jesuitical, Marianne. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. It is great to have you. I was just saying, I... I I'm gonna. We're gonna skip all our questions about the Terminator because okay. um, you just said off mic that th- this is something you've done. You did, you know, years and years ago, four hours work, and it's the only thing you get asked about. Not the only thing. Not the, the only, but, but the, a lot, a lot. As the person who was killed by accident by yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator. So we got a lot of ground to cover. So we'll skip that. But this is your. You're coming up on. Is it 49 or 50 years of professional I, acting? I'm in my 50th year. Holy cow. I can hardly believe it. That's incredible. It is. It's been a wonderful career. Yeah. And people, you've you've seen Marianne, if, even if you don't know the name. Absolutely. Because she is literally in everything. Yeah. Like Will and Grace, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, Curb Your Enthusiasm, the amazing Geico commercial about ants. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. So I was... Stunned to find out that you'd also played. You've you've played nuns like, a lot, a lot, a, of course. Yeah. So so why why do you think do, is it you get one nun gig and then it just like no 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 or do you seek out nun gigs no <laughs> so so how did you end up with so many nun roles under well your nuns can be funny and I am funny <laughs> and uh, I'm very Catholic and pretty well anyone who spends time with me knows it. I have an authoritative way about me, and nuns, when they're being funny, are often authoritative. <laughs> mm, like, don't cross. Like, I'm, I'm making a joke, but also don't cross me. Yeah, you know the ruler and all that yeah. cliche yeah. stuff. So, I've probably done about eight, but mm. right up there are nurses. Oh my goodness, I must have done thirty nurses. Wow. Uh, you know, woman next door, neighbor lady, nosy, chatty. Uh, generous, uh, whatever the handle is, 50. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we could start with real quick, since we were just talking about it off mic, which is uh, the the Geico commercial. It's about a young, young married couple that just moved into their new house. There's just one problem. 
It's that they have ants. Yes. And not A-N-T-S, but the, the joke is that there are A-U-N-T-S. They are just everywhere. And you play yeah. one of the one of the yeah. ants that kind of is very critical yeah. of how they um, are living their home life, domestic yeah. life. We keep showing up. There I'm I'm I think during the actual shoot they had about eight. I don't I think six ended up in it, but a lot of us and then they cut a lot of commercial commercials from it 15 and 30 seconds so there's at least four four varieties this has resonated with so many people and how do you how why is it so funny why is it so successful well the the premise is good that they you know uh, the word is spelled two different ways and all right i i like that um i think this one is particularly good because the brian billow who's the director at who i've worked with before in the mcdonald's commercial uh, he he has the script in front of him, but he only uses it briefly, and then he improvs lines to the actors. Mm. So he casts it well. We do have talent, but I think it's his writing and then how we deliver it. I asked him, how can you as a director know this? He said, oh, I started out in improv. Mm. So he was an actor with improv, and it's his lines is why I think it's hilarious. So you're working across genres in the industry. Yeah. And do, do you get what's what's your take on commercials? Like, is it is that a like really fun medium to work in? Is it like you do it to pay the bills? Is it where you can like really stretch yourself and grow? What's no, you can't stretch yourself and grow <laughs> only because they're very brief. You know, mm-hmm. the segment is brief. So much of it is visual. You have to, the audience has to get the message by looking at it mm-hmm. immediately. Same really about uh, television, but at least you have 23 minutes there for a sitcom and everything. You have development of character. Uh, the reason I like it is it's one day, fittings one day, it's done, and the potential for making money is fantastic. But every actor is hoping they get a Geico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just one way that the industry's changed in oh. in your time working. What are some of the other major in the last 50 years that you've seen? Oh my goodness. Staggering changes. I was speaking to friends last night uh, about doing uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I had done a, uh, we were, I was called back to do looping. And looping is when you match your voice mm. to what was done earlier when you were shooting the whole thing and there have been some errors or whatever mm. technical you have to do it again uh larry david was actually at my looping session which stunned me <laughs> normally it's the producer it's the sound engineers you're it's boom boom you, you know you look up you see that put the earphones on you look up you match your voice you're gone he was there so i thanked him for inviting me to the season wrap party because I was a guest actor, because and you don't normally invite guest actors, uh, and season rap parties don't exist anymore. Mm. Uh, they used to, oh in the early days there was so much fun, so much party going. Um, I mean they'd have rap parties for half seasons. They'd have rap parties <laughs> with if they had a fancy guest they'd have a party afterwards or. People will go to a club and sing songs around a piano. If you did a movie, you always went to a screening of your movie. That doesn't exist anymore. If you did a pilot, uh, which you know is a, a show they hope is going to sell, yeah, it was like an opening. 
They'd send a car for you to come to the studio. There would be a fruit basket, a flower basket, a bottle of wine, champagne, chocolates. I mean, for everybody. So now is it's just less partying going on or like less celebrating sounds- the like accomplishments that people yeah, actors do? Yeah, and the do. art and the working together mm-hmm. and just it's just economics. They're just everything and greed on the other end mm-hmm. as so far as I'm mu- concerned. Much more transactional, you would say? I would say. And is that, is that because of Netflix? Is it because of like the Marvel phenomenon where everything is just a superhero movie or an apocalypse movie and it's all about making money through those? And I do think it, I just think it's about making money. It's just yeah. the way the industry has gone. Mm-hmm. There was a time when casting people were very respected and they could cast you. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. They have, they're just middlemen. They have no power. Hmm. And, and also the industry switched from people who have artistic visions, who are heads of networks, to business people, to companies that own us that don't know anything about it. It's amazing any of us get jobs. Now, I feel like, mo- you know, what most people's interactions or experiences with Hollywood are sort of just like admiring or hating the, the A-list people the Larry Davids, the 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 big superstars from afar, but the majority of Hollywood's sort of made made up of people, you know, the the production team, the, the guest actors, these people. Yeah, that have, like me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What do what do most of us miss by not having access to? What what are we missing about what we think Hollywood is? Well, it's a grind and it's hard, and uh, the majority of actors do not work. Uh, I think I, I can't go on what the pandemic numbers are, but before uh, it was something like a half percent of our union actors, which pretty well represent the very top stars. They're working. They make an income. A half percent. A half percent is the top. And then there's something like four percent who are also doing very well. And then I come in at about the seven um, percent. So all that together is what uh, like fourteen percent that work, all the rest don't. Did you come into it thinking you'd be more of a, you know, workhorse actor oh, instead yes. of like a leading star? Is oh, that totally. something you wanted? Or oh yeah. no, no, I didn't want it. Okay. Uh, no, I once I decided I was going to go to TV and film, which came just because after ten years of stage, I thought, well, I've made a living and I've had enough money to travel, which is very important to me, but. I thought, oh, I'm never going to own a car, let alone a house. I've got to make more money. (laughs) And so I actually, at that point, had done nine years of stage. I thought, okay, I'm going to do one more year of stage so I can get a pension. You have to be vested 10 years. And then I moved to L.A. Uh, And when I moved, I uh, shifted my goals. I wanted longevity, variety, and constancy. And those have remained my goals. But when I came to L.A., I also had three prayer petitions. And those three prayer petitions have shifted over the years. But I recently, on last year of February 17th, got my third so what miracle. So what are the three? Oh, three miracles. Miracles. Okay. I can hear. say it because I'm on a Catholic spot. That's right. I cast, yep. Maybe somebody out there would actually believe this is a miracle. <laughs> they are miracles in my adult life. My first, when I came, I wanted to get a series, lose weight, find the man. Then it shifted. When I was 36 and a half, I thought, I'm tired of dating. I want the man. So I moved that to the first position. And then I wanted to uh, get a series and lose weight. 
I did a lot of work, uh, spiritual work, to find, to prepare myself for finding my husband because I thought, I rather, I knew I had never been in love, and everybody's been in love, but I had not been You're in 36 love. 36, and you'd never been And I'd never been in love. Had wonderful boyfriends, very happy with every one of them. But anyway, so, I mean, that's a separate podcast, really. <laughs> <laughs> what was the maybe we got a lot of maybe some people listening who might be at this point in their life. What what was the biggest thing you had to spiritually okay work on? The biggest thing I had to do yeah. was figure out what was it in me that was preventing me from falling in love. I figured it was something holding me back, maybe a fault, mm-hmm. you know. And that once I had to identify it, then I had to change it. And this was a spiritual problem for you, not you didn't think it was like yeah, spiritual. I, I think so too. I, I can see how it'd be spiritual, but, but I think maybe a lot of people listening would be like, oh, like that's a mental, I, health, a mental issue. health issue or a no, psychological problem. No, it wasn't that problem. serious. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I was functioning fine in life, yeah. you know, but there was something I was misidentifying that. And so I I did a lot of things, but this was the core thing. And I- I Is that prayer? Is that retreat? Is I joined a prayer group. of okay. The only one I could go to was all business women. And me, an actor, <laughs> but I could go to it because it was you know on a Wednesday evening. It was once a week, a, a time I could do. I thought I'm going, I'm going. I went. What I learned? Oh, this this prayer group. It, you're in a circle. Say a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Spirit to come and speak to the group. At one point after that initial prayer, one of the women starts talking. She presents an issue she's dealing with. Then the rest of us could only respond. By mentioning Bible verses that would illuminate it. I'd never studied the Bible. <laughs> I couldn't illuminate anything by a Bible passage. And what I learned is that my voice does not need to be heard. I do not need to think I'm right and let somebody know I've got the answer. Everybody has a path. They're going to get to it. And so I recognized that my issue was power and control. Wow. And that had been very useful in my career. I cherished it. But when I look back at the boyfriends I had, I realized I only attracted people who wanted powerful women who were in control. I remember my first boyfriend in high school. I said, so I said one time, well, what do you want to do? He said, I don't care what we do so long as I'm with you. And that's the kind Some of Some people would think that's very sweet, but for you, you... I, I thought, well, at the time, yeah. you know, sure. I was 18. I thought, okay, fine, I'll, let's pull out that. I'll do, we'll go here, we'll go to this restaurant, yeah. I want to try that. And we, yeah. So, But that's the way it had been my whole mm. adult life, and which was fine. But when I wanted to find a man, I didn't, I wanted to find an equal. Mm-hmm. A partner. I wanted to find someone. So that, so that was what, circling back to the, the miracles that had happened. Oh, yeah, that was that. I, I, I took you down that. That path. So thank you. What were the other two? So you found a man. Yep. The second one, I was given a series, unheard of without being a star. Unheard of. And it was called uh, Life with Bonnie. Ran two seasons. I only wanted a series for the financial security it would provide in retirement. And I got it. I saved half of gross. All the things that the the uh, miracle gave me were things I wasn't, I, I didn't, hadn't even considered. The fact that I wouldn't have to audition for two years. Mm. Which just is consistent a, work. Yeah. Yes, just, yeah. And know what you're going to make. Yeah. And have a schedule that's or three weeks work, one week off. So my weeks off, I could take a trip with my husband. I could put on a party. I could travel. 
I could accept other work. And the scripts were written for me. One read, one pass on the rehearsal, I could shoot. Wow. So, oh. So, oh. And they gave you food morning, noon, and night. <laughs> I didn't even have to cook. I could bring home dinner to my husband. This is this is that lifestyle thing people think everyone has in Hollywood. Oh. But you're, you know, it, it came uh-uh. as like a real like oh. water in the desert, right? It was unbelievable. Great two years. So wow. great. And then the third one only happened February 17th of 2020. This is after 39 years of praying that I could control my weight. I woke up on Ash Wednesday, and for the first time, I no longer had food chatter in my head. Now, if any of your guests have dealt with any issue that they've wanted to address, you know, they know about the constant chatter. And when I woke up on Ash Wednesday, of course, I'm going to do 40 days of something to do with food. I've been doing that forever. It was gone. And I have now lost 30 pounds and 31, and I'm nine away from goal, according to Weight Watchers. I don't care if I get there or not, because this gift is from God. I'm doing whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And so the main difference, to put it succinctly, is I've gone from a compulsive eater to intuitive. Like, Mm -hmm. you're probably intuitive. You only eat when you're hungry. Totally novel idea to me, but that's the way it is now. I stop when I'm full. Never knew when I was full before. Now it just so you you are describing these as miracles, which I think a, for a lot of people connotes like all right, like lightning bolt in the sky, you know, rap, like God intervening in a very obvious way. But mm-hmm. you did. I mean, for all of these, you, you did work. You did the work. You. I always you did. did my part. So I. But after thirty nine years of uh-huh. doing my part, you know. So what, what what's God's role? What's your role versus God's role in these miracles? Well, I had never even thought about brain chatter mm. as a component of being an overeater. Mm. I didn't even think that it existed. But to have it gone, which I couldn't have it gone. I didn't even know it was there. I wouldn't know how to. I have a hard time turning off my brain just to go to sleep. Yeah. And to have that gone. What, who, else, who else could you contribute attribute that to? That's a God gift. You mentioned that, okay, I can talk about this because it's a Catholic podcast. I kind of want to pivot a little bit to yeah. the role of your, the role of you being a, a Catholic or a person of faith yeah. in, in Hollywood, working in Hollywood. Is that is that common? I do belong to a group called Catholics and Media Association. Because mm. I think people have an idea of Hollywood as this godless place. Um, it's not. Yeah. But uh, I don't think... We, I don't think anybody talks about their faith very much in society. Yeah, that's true. I think everywhere, not just. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've had, I don't call them huge challenges, but certainly things have come up with scripts or in auditions or even in performance that I'm not willing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd have to say that. Um, it's as much because of my Catholic faith as my upbringing. Uh, Once when I was, I just came to Hollywood, I was a union actor when I came, I was offered to do the voiceover for a porn movie and I needed money and I wanted it. My name was not going to be associated with it. It was $600 in 1981. Yeah. 
But I thought, well, clearly I can't do that. And then I've been asked to play um, like devil worshipers. And uh, I just thought about it, uh, prayed about it, looked deeply at the script and decided yes or no. Is that is that freeing in some way to be able to like have these principles to fall back on that you can to sort of make the decision for you? Oh, totally. I don't know how people get through life without faith. It's so foundational. It's not just foundational. It, it, my faith encapsulates me. And in it, I have tremendous freedom. It's kind of hard to... I need somebody more articulate who can ex- explain that, but I feel tremendous freedom being a person of faith. You mentioned off mic that... Um... You don't consider your primary identity to be an actor. I don't. Um, what, what Which would is you... a funny thing for an actor to yeah. say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so what is it? Is it is it a person of faith? Is yes. It a... Okay. Yes, it's a person of faith, and and then a wife. I've never had an identity as an actor. It's really just my job. And so, for a long time, I was sort of impatient when people would say, "Oh my gosh, you know, uh, who have you worked with? Like, who's the most famous person you've ever met?" I don't know. I'd have to look at my resume to see who I worked with because I don't have any. I'm not enamored of anybody because they're famous. Mm -hmm. And so I really like them because we have stuff in common. You've written on your blog, I was reading, that two of the biggest stumbling blocks for actors are um, this pain of rejection that's that's always happening. Yeah. Um, And then you mentioned this earlier, these long periods of not working, which, which is sort of a creates this self-doubt. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, those are those are chronic, I think, to to showbiz, but yes. lots of people experience, you know, some version of yeah. rejection and and self-doubt. Especially during the pandemic. Absolutely. What how do you but you had you had lots of practice before the pandemic with yes, dealing with of these. Course. So what are what are things that help and and like it, what about your faith, if that's part of it, is helpful? Oh, it's completely about it. Uh, about my faith. I uh, There certainly have been parts that I've wanted and didn't get, but not that many. I really believe I'm going to get the parts I'm supposed to get and that other people have to work too. And so if I didn't get it, that's okay. Uh, I long ago decided that I would have to do my auditions to please me. I would set my own standard. I gave myself a rating and A, B, or C. Uh, I had goals for it, and it was really all about my relationship to Jesus, the gift he gave me, how I was going to use it in that audition, and what did I achieve. So I always pray before every audition. I give it up to God, say, let's go. You know what I'm aiming for. Yeah. It sounds like, I don't know, in Ignatian spirituality speak, we would call, it seems like you have a very healthy level of detachment or indifference to... um, you know, things you can't control. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I've often said to somebody, you know, uh, somebody has to work very hard to offend me because I generally think it's something they're going through. I don't, I don't get offended easily. I'm not caught up in gossip or what somebody thinks or I, I just don't care about it. It's just not interesting. So this is a podcast directed at, at young Catholics, but we have we have listeners and and people in our circle of all ages. But you have sort of been moving to this phase of your career where you are being typecast into like either grandma or aunt or yeah. what do you think that, what are the qualities that like you think people in showbiz are looking for in the stereotypical grandma, oh. aunt, and, and what do you think that says about 
<laughs> the way we view elderly people. Well, it's changed a little bit. Uh, a great example of that is that uh, McDonald's uh, buttermilk chicken tenders audition I did. Wait, what's the premise of this this commercial? It's a it's the premise is it's a grandma who is uh, who does a lot of Sunday cooking for the family, but she discovered this. Uh, McDonald's buttermilk chicken tenders, and so now she can just get it because she's got other things to do. <laughs> she she doesn't so, you, so she can she stop do, cooking. She, she doesn't can... have to dedicate her life to feeding these people mm-hmm. for another twenty years, mm-hmm. and that's a change. That an older woman has got things to do, and then in the in the various uh, um, commercial spots where they did so many of them, they had me doing uh, oh. They had me uh, doing putting puzzles together. Uh, they had me sitting in an easy chair, uh, resting. They had me uh, on a go kart. No, 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 not a go a golf cart. <laughs> nice. Uh, they, helping helping your friend with her Tinder profile. Yes, yes. Which, by the way, during that, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> You're just saying yes, no as yeah. she's swiping and left and finally, right. Finally, I said, "Stop! Tell me what I'm doing. What is this?" <laughs> and they had to explain what dating apps were. Then we went on. Nice. You know, so it was a little more meaningful. Anyway, they had, did a lot of different. They put me in a swimming pool. All these things that weren't cooking and caring. Yes, for, yes. she's got a full life beyond the kitchen. But commercials are what's happening now in society. That's why I've been so thrilled to see the changes uh, that are addressing racial injustice. I see them on TV and in commercial right away. That's That's been one of the most profound things that's happened to me is my coming to open my eyes in that area. Now I'm constantly reading about And you see that the, racism. You, and you think that's changing in... Commercials and things? It is. Uh, I mean, yes, there's no question it's changing, but it's teeny tiny step when we've got miles and miles and miles to go mm-hmm. across many areas. Yeah, I read um, on your blog about uh, your husband who who suffers with chronic pain. Um, so how does how do you, in the face of that suffering, bring bring joy to your life together. That's a whole separate podcast. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, he he his he has chronic pain. That's sort of the thing we label it the most just because it's easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has many medical issues. Um, we know, it took a, a few years for us to really know, but we now know that him having chronic pain is perhaps God's greatest gift to him because he is able to function with it. He, is, he spends his time in advocacy, in uh, medical research, offering, uh, he does um, symposiums and uh, now over Zoom uh, about VR mitigating chronic pain. Uh, he works for the Department of Defense, evaluating. Uh, they're seeking grants from our ta- tax dollars. He evaluates the merits of those. Um, he is so much more productive and doing, and more effective, and using all his gifts from God in this part of his life than he ever was in the twenty-three years in the military. And that's astounding. There is redemptive power in suffering, Marianne. Want to thank you for coming on the show. 
Has um, it been 30 minutes? It's been, yeah, we're wrapping pretty soon. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> we, we do have one final question for okay. you. Um, we ask this of all our guests. Uh, okay. If you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? It's a, it's a toss-up between my mother or my father, to be honest. They could be canonized together. Some, Let's some do married together, couples then. have done that. Yeah, yeah all right. Let's so, do it together. So why, why is that? Okay. My mother had a mental disorder. It was called manic depression, Then now it's very fashionably known as bipolar. She kept herself sane by being so grounded in her faith, which is really why her five kids are still Catholic. And my father knew, married her knowing she was this because her father, my grandfather, was a doctor, head of a state mental institution, and diagnosed her. And she had spent time in this mental institution. So they went on this journey together. And the way they handled it, incredible. And so even though she had this, it didn't really scar any of us. They were both deeply rooted in faith. They met at a Jesuit basketball game. Jesuits are good for something. <laughs> so, what were your parents' names? Margaret, Meehan, Keeney, Muller, Liley, Cecil, Emil, Muller, Liley. All right, Margaret and Cecil. Yeah, or Mull. Yeah, Margaret Mull. <laughs> Margaret Mull. Margaret Mull. Pray for us. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. So hard to see. From the moment we arrive Cornelia You are one who will survive It's time for some housekeeping. What do we have this week, Zach? So I uh, wanted to remind everybody once again that uh, Ashley and I are going to Italy this September, and you can come with us. Uh, Father Eric Sundrup is going to be coming with us, saying mass for us, um, and spots are starting to fill up. And so if this is something you, you heard about and we're really excited about, um, we've got an awesome itinerary. You know, we're, we're hitting up the Vatican, doing a few days in Rome, going to Assisi, uh, Florence, Venice. We're going to visit a winery in Tuscany. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a like really meaningful trip. Uh, I know the first time I went to Rome, you know, seeing some of the places where you know some of the apostles were, and you know where a church is sort of headquartered out of was really moving. And so, if we want you to come with us, uh, you can find out information on registering right here in our show notes, uh, as we're going to link to them. What else we got, Ashley? We had a bonus Patreon episode last week. <laughs> you might have seen the teaser in your feed. Uh, we responded to Pope Francis's controversial comments about having pets versus having kids. So if you are a member of our Patreon community, you got to hear our whole conversation about that. And hopefully you found it enlightening and, you know, kind of combating some of the hysteria that the headlines provoked. And if you aren't a Patreon member yet and would like to be, we would love to have you be a part of our community. Yeah, you can visit patreon.com slash americamedia. Uh, and wanted to shout out some new patrons this week. Uh, thank you so much to Glenn Ferguson, Kimberly Maravich, Maria rosales Uribe, Jeffrey Hermsen, Robert Singaliese, and Wanda. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. Again, you can join them at patreon.com slash americamedia. Um, and I did just want to bring up one, uh, we got a, email from a listener uh from 
Mr. J.R. Smith, uh, who heard our conversation and predictions about uh, Jesuit basketball teams doing well in, in 2021. And Noted that we left out someone who's doing incredibly well, uh, and it's Colleen Dully, our, our colleague on Inside the Vatican. It's her alma mater. The Loyola New Orleans Wolfpack are, have started the season 15-0, and 0, um, so they've got a real shot at doing something big. Not too big, because they're not uh, Division One in the NCAA. They are NAIA. Um, but Gerald suggested that we, you know, celebrate even the lower, marginalized, lower division Jesuit schools um, and, and mention them on the next show. So so go Wolfpack. And you know what? It, maybe just make the jump to Division One, guys. So that way we can you know, pay attention to you all the time. <laughs> just don't get crushed 92 to four by like a Gonzaga or a Loyola Chicago, because that would be that would be bad and not in the spirit of charity. And now it's time for As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives. Uh, so going back to Pope Francis's comments about pets, if you were paying attention to that, you might have missed his uh, homily on the Feast of the Epiphany. But I, I got to I got to read it and it, it really spoke to me um, as as so much of Pope Francis's uh, homilies and speeches do. Um, but there was one line in particular. He said, uh, sometimes we live in a spirit of parking lot. We stay parked without the impulse of desire that carries us, carries us forward. We do well to ask, where are we on our faith journey? And I don't know that, that phrase, like a spiritual parking lot just gave language to something I think I've been feeling for a while throughout the pandemic. You know, it seems like, are you saying you felt like you've been in, in a parking lot for the past yeah, two years? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> actually my, my studio is much smaller than a parking lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So a parking lot would feel expansive at this point. Uh, no, <laughs> but, but no, uh, you know, like so many things in our lives, I feel like these past two years I've been able to put things off like, Oh, I'll go to confession again when the pandemic's over or I'll start volunteering with the Catholic worker when the pandemic's over and just getting very comfortable in this, in, in this stasis that I've been in and, um, kind of hearing the word, uh, Pope Francis describe it in that way was a bit of a, a wake up call that this is something I need to be paying attention to because, you know, if we've learned anything after the past few years, it's that we don't know when this pandemic is going to end. And so just like pressing pause on certain aspects of your life is not really a good way to go. Yeah. Um, quick aside, uh, I think, Maybe more of us would have heard or been thinking about the epiphany if it were a holy day of obligation in the in the U.S. It's not. I, I, I here's my proposal as someone who's not in charge at all. This is my offer, bishops. Can we just swap out New Year's Day as a holy day of obligation for the feast of the epiphany? Because uh, way easier, I think. I think you'll get more people. Yeah, I was uh, today's years old when I learned New Year's Day was a holy day of obligation. Surprise! It is. <laughs> haven't haven't. Haven't been sticking to that one. Well, I think you're not alone there. <laughs> but so the other great part of this homily is Pope Francis also points a way forward. And he he talks, it's a very Ignatian homily in that he talks about paying attention to our our desires as as you know, something that um can can direct our prayer life and then through that direct where we actually go in our journey of faith. Um and that's something still after what over eight years of working with the Jesuits is something I struggle with this idea that, that your desires can aren't, aren't selfish things, but can be God pulling you in a new direction. So we were, we were talking to um, 
to Father Sundrip about this. And he was like, you know, when we were discussing how it's easier to see the journey in the hindsight and not when you're sitting in your apartment day after day. Um, and he he pointed to a, a prayer practice that can help with this of, you know, keeping track of where you are each day and being present to that and looking back on your day. And obviously he was referring to the examine, which we've talked about. One more Jesuit many times tells on me to show. do the examine. I swear to, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's like every time they're like, you bring a problem to a Jesuit and you're just like, I think an examine could help. And they're right. <laughs> um, but I'm I am so weak and so bad at doing it. Uh, but I, I resolved yeah. to try again in 2021. Yeah. But we do have these weekly check-ins where at least we're we're forced to talk about it as friends. Yes. <laughs> and so that's something maybe you would want to try in this new year, listeners. Um, if you're if you're feeling stuck, uh, having a you know a regular check-in with someone can can be an opportunity to to realize that there there are movements in your lives, even if they're just um, internal and subtle, but they're they're worth paying attention to. Amen to that. All right. I will get us out of here. Judge Whitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Kira Hanlon. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of American Media and is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt Studio in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.